Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And with us in the studio today, we have Chris Groves, all the way from Australia. Uh, Hello, Hello, Chris. Hi. Might know Chris from uh, Night Science Magazine, his label Cypher Productions, his noise project Chrysalis. Uh, am I forgetting anything? No, that's about it. All right. That's <laughs> and, enough. Uh, that's a great list. Yeah. Chris uh, happened to be in Los Angeles and has some time to talk to us. Chris, why are you in L.A.? See the Mr. Bungle shows. There or we two go. two of them. Heck yeah. And, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, one of which was last night. Yeah, yeah. And Tara and I were also at that show, though we didn't run to, run into each other. We were we were there as well. Uh, it was sick, right? It was amazing. Yeah, it was great. I can't believe you were so far up front. That was it was a wild show. I did well, but I was <laughs> e- ejected from the mosh pit forward. Rather, than <laughs> we had a bird's eye view. We were on the balcony. Yeah, and, we had. A... Uh, I was just mesmerized. Yeah. Um. So was was Mr. Bungle kind of one of the your beginning paths into noise eventually yeah ab- absolutely that that was a that was a gateway for sure um so disco volant came out in what 95 i think so yeah uh so that was me as a 17 year old uh and you know it's a gateway for zorn and boredoms and and those kind of guys and from there mixing those kind of experimentations with, you know, heavy metal, which was me as a younger teen. That was like your yeah. first music, basically. Yeah. 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 What what bands in particular were some of your favorites? Uh, the, the, the classics? Or? The classics, Testament, Megadeth. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. Oh man. That's awesome. Yeah. And the the Bungle shows were special because Dave Lombardo played drums. And yeah. That was how sick was that? That was amazing. And Scotty and play guitar. And they just did their first demo. So they didn't even, they played zero songs off any of their albums. Yeah. A demo from 1986 when they were teenagers mm-hmm. is what they did. That's insane. It was great. It was a <laughs> yeah. show where nobody had heard the songs. I mean, yeah, they I mean, did some covers and some things. And but. I mean, obviously you can listen to it. It's not available or anything. It didn't no. reissue it or anything. No. Like you can, you know, you can, you can hear it now on YouTube or whatever, but like basically we didn't really check it out. I listened to it a little bit, but we were kind of going in like, Let's just like experience this and like see what happens. Was this something? Do you know this demo, Chris, or is this was last night new to you? No, the um, the demo was when I uh, moved to Hobart. You know, doing tape trading and stuff. Got that demo. Okay, um, as part of that. So oh, oh awesome! So God. you have you it. Still have yeah. it? Kn- knew it, but not intimately. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've still got it downstairs somewhere, but yeah. In one of many rooms one for of music. Many, one of many <laughs> rooms for music. You're like, I have a tape room. I have a CD room. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it was I, it was a really cool show. And Bungle was was also a big uh, band for me in in high school. Uh, and and I and it, I think it sounds like we're roughly the same age. I'm, I was born in eighty seventy seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, we would have been in high school together. And. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, just just but everyone that, I went to high school with is dead. Everyone, <laughs> nice. That was good. That was good. Um, but yeah, no, that was definitely a path in, and and I just think it, you know, was such a cool time that were like there were these major albums for people in high school who didn't yeah. necessarily know about the underground just yet, but these major records could actually send you into the underground. Absolutely, which yeah. is you know what a it was, what a what a cool time to have you know kind of grown up. I think yeah. Well, and Patton being sort of a more mainstream figure after Faith No More got popular uh, and people kind of discovering his other interests. And like you said, like leading you down the path of Zorn and the boredoms and that stuff. It's 
I know he's a pretty divisive figure for people who like noise, like Absolutely. love him or hate him. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people do hate him, and I, I'm, um, I'm, we're, I'm not one of them at all. You know, I, I think he's great. And But yeah, but but yeah, I mean, he doing a record with Mersbau, you know, like, again, that was a very, you know, some people absolutely hate it. Some mm-hmm. people absolutely love it. Um, but, you know, I, but I do know that for a lot, there's a lot, there's definitely a swath of people who, who, who got into noise through, through that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. What, so when, what was kind of your, what was kind of your first full on noise experiences uh, and, or a, a couple? It, it's actually, it's, it's pretty vivid. I had a, a friend who moved to Melbourne Came back, bought a Mersbau CD, which I think was probably um, Hybrid Noise Bloom. Oh, yeah. Yay. There's the poster. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Played that, and it was just, you know, fuck, that's it. Oh, wow. Sold. Sold. That's awesome. You know, spent every day just trying to figure out how to get more, figure out more. Oh, wow. So you just, you got obsessed immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was your your main source? Was there a record store? You doing mail order? Um. A little bit of mail order, but it, it was basically trying to figure out how local record stores could get the stuff I was trying to get mm-hmm. in, which was, in retrospect, n- knowing what I know now, was actually a really limited catalogue, but just trying to flip through their paper catalogues and maybe they'd have a, you know, like the, the Mersbau releases on Relapse. Of course, yeah, yeah. Was some of the stuff that they could actually get and, you know, was a was a that was sort of the f- the first going down that road of trying to figure that stuff out. But then, yeah, the relapse mail order. Yeah, thank goodness for relapse. Yeah, I mean, it got a lot of stuff out there. What um? So you so where in Australia were you living at the time? This is all in in Hobart, and the, so that's where you've been forever. Uh, no, I grew, grew up in Launceston, which is uh, a city in northern Tasmania. Moved to to Hobart when I was eighteen for school. Did any no shows ever come through? I saw KK Null at about. When I was maybe twenty. Oh wow! Uh, so he did a he did a few shows in relative quick succession in Hobart, probably through ninety seven, ninety eight, wow. ninety nine, that kind of time. Cool. Which for then was was pretty unusual. There weren't a lot of people touring, even from interstate, let alone internationally. Uh, so to have him show up was was pretty special. I think we've talked about this before. But he he played in Detroit. Too. And did you see him? Chicago, Chicago yes, yeah. So Bowl, yeah. He toured, uh, obviously got around yeah. in, the, in the late 90s around that time. Um, any other any other notable noise shows through Tasmania? Um, no, I th- that was it for a really long while, actually. Yeah. Um, it was then, there'd be the odd, you know, local local show or um, people that would sort of dabble, but it was it's been, uh, there was that sort of period through the late 90s, you know, and most of 2000s where really unless you put on a show and made something happen, it, it really didn't. When did you start uh, doing your own thing, doing the label, doing the magazine, stuff like that? When did uh, that kind of start? I think it was about 2000 and probably 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. And what made you start it? Um, I think I, I thought at the time it was a clever idea. <laughs> you, you all know it's not, but yeah. you know, it was Nobody at the time. Nobody else is doing it. Yeah, here. yeah. perfect. Yeah. Well, I think we sort of got started or in, more involved around the same time, the early two thousands, in terms of playing shows, running labels, putting stuff on. That's how we have yeah. known each other is through like the old Tronics board, and and uh, and there was so much activity at that time. I guess it it seemed sort of natural to start yeah. start doing a project. It was easy. There was a pretty solid community internet wise. People were trading and sent, like I've sent packages to Australia <laughs> to you and, and vice versa. I know uh, 
it was a, I don't know, it was a fruitful time, but before everything sort of exploded the way it has, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think it was a time when, like, underground music was so popular. Like, everybody was, like, looking on independent labels, and it was, like, the thing you did. And so the natural progression from that for, you know, us weirdos would have been to just go straight and diving into noise. So I think it just had that huge you know, resurgence and there, it was like a time of like community and excitement and it was so good. And Australia has like the oh, easiest, yeah. um, uh, a- addresses next to the U S which is what I like sending packages to Australia. They're very simple. It's not like sending a package to the UK. <laughs> 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 so I always liked when I uh, was sending packages to Australia. I thought, <laughs> so you started the label in, in 2002. Was that I, right? th- I think it was 2002. Yeah. yeah. And Chrysalis around the same time. Yeah, yeah, within yeah, f- pretty short period of time. Right. Yeah. And when did when did Night Science start? For for those who don't know, Chris does a magazine called Night Science. Are you still doing Night Science? Still, still doing it. Started doing layout on the plane over. Oh, fantastic! Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll make sure you leave with some uh, new titles. And, <laughs> and, and 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 a you know rare thing, uh, actual physical magazine. Yeah. Um. W- what. I, I find that I think I feel like making a magazine is one of the most difficult undertakings in underground culture. I think doing a zine uh, is, but I also think it's like the most important. It felt it, it felt crucial at the time. Yes, mm-hmm. and just to have that to to always have anytime we go back to look at old banana fishes, old you know even like as loud as possible we we, we that we yeah. pulled out you know night science see, uh, spectrum you know seeing the. The reviews, but like the ads are like even like some of the best parts. And then like it just kind of puts things into pers- in this kind of really great perspective more so than you can do. In, and in it's an great to day. like revisit like you have a physical thing that you can just look I've, at over and over. I've always felt uh, it's a bit like a time capsule. Yeah, it contemporizes um, it with, with yeah. when everything else that was going on with it, which is really nice. Yeah. Had you, did you do any like journalism work in, in high school? I I guess give give us the kind of like, why and how did you start the magazine? Um, Look again, it probably just seemed like a good idea, which in in retrospect was, was foolish. (laughs) Did a, did a little bit of journalism through um, what I call college, what you guys call high school. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there was a a newspaper, which put, uh, which actually sought out, students to write some some content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was probably 94, 95. They just uh, decided to put on a little little team of sort of student journalists to review movies and music and shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did a little bit of that. Uh, don't think that, that necessarily inspired anything for Night Science. Uh, it just... Uh, it seemed that there was, there was a need for that when I decided to make the first issue. And really just reached out to some people that I wanted to contact and a couple of people that I was in contact with. And it it came together really easily, that first one, uh, and just kind of burgeoned from from there. How long does an issue take you now? Far, far, far too long. (laughs) So I think the last one was probably five or six years ago. Uh, I had a computer crash about two years after the last one. So I lost kind of two years of content, oh. which probably wasn't that good anyway. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily <laughs> sad about it other than it was a lot of words. So yeah, this, the next issue is coming out this year. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's issue cool. number six, six. All right. Wow. So, oh, and so over, <laughs> o- over how many years? Oh shit. Um, so what two was 2002? 18 years or so. Yeah. 
Look at that. So what's that one? Three every... years. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds healthy when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even talking to Seymour, I mean, just, just the, the amount of work that goes into putting a, together a magazine and night science is, you know, it's not, you know, it's thick. I mean, you know, there, you mm-hmm. got, you put stuff in there, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, it's it, not a pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, a, it's gotta be a true labor of love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you were doing that all just kind of all at the same time, all the, the label, the magazine, just, it was this whole stew of well, the, the label, the first release was going to be, a. a recording of my own work which then took forever and, and changed into a split release but night science was really the second release to sort of put the whole thing out there as you know international contacts a way to sort of broaden broaden appeal i guess who were some of the first people you got in contact with uh internationally even like maybe before the label like who were some of like your early kind of contacts like uh, uh joel, comrades joel like from spite was a was an early one yeah. um hell yeah yeah, so he I ended up interviewing. Well, actually, I didn't interview him for the for the first issue. Russ Whitehouse ended up doing it, um, but I, that was just um, to sort of get it get it done. It was difficult for me to interview Joel sensibly, but he was a he was a early contact. Uh, Kohei from Guilty Connector was another one that just uh, I guess uh, in those early days started sort of corresponding with. Uh, as you said, you know the the Tronics board. Oh, no, actually, it wasn't the Tronics board the um, uh, the uh, noise board four three three. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of a lot of people through that 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 popped up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the big memory I have from from that first issue was was reaching out to K two, who was sort of um someone I really was really admiring and getting into at the time. And um, we you know I was absolutely stoked when he said yes to participating because that was sort of you know that was the the pinnacle of that first issue was was getting him interviewed in a first and a track, um, and remember going down to my PO box on the way into work, getting the you know CDR master for his track, listening to it on the bus on the way, and just going holy fuck, <laughs> oh, the that best had feeling, to be so exciting. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That is like the best feeling in the world yeah. too, right? Like when you get like we always talk about like how psyched Pat must have been when he got like the green wheels master oh or like just like just that we're just like oh my god like I get honestly to- pretty much any master pat's gotten yeah. pretty much yeah yeah, yeah. let's be it's, let's, it's, be, to me, let's like, be very clear dude damn. wired trap oh man did you ever go to japan yeah because you're because yeah yeah but you're closer. not it's not that it's not it's not that bad so the the second issue for night science i ended up um going to the bowels of noise shows which were probably 2000 and Three, I think. Uh, so that was the first time. Slogan, sickness, control. Oh, you, oh, you went Richard to that? Ramirez, oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, wow. So I ended up doing a show review for that in the second issue of of Night Science. Oh, wow. Now yeah, I, I have. Well, yeah, we have a bunch of issues. I, I honestly don't know where they are, and I, I we only did find out uh, of your appearance here about two days ago. So I did not. Uh, we did not have time to pull them out. So I am a little hazy, admittedly, on some of those. But I do have a bunch. It's in um, that one box. 
It's in that one box. You know that yeah. one box? That's yeah, you is. know that one oh, box. Yeah. One box. <laughs> <laughs> next to my orange astrotronism. <laughs> it's next to your orange astrotronism. Yep. It's also next to your Yenpok 7-inch. No, you've seen the Yenpok 7-inch. <laughs> Did God I see it? it? I heard about it. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's so cool. So did, did you do any interviews when you were over there with people? Or you just did the review, the show review? Just, just did the show review. Um, Pretty much all of the interviews are uh, email or some kind of similar derivation. I think the only in-person interview is the Prurian interview from issue three. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That 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 mm-hmm. one, yeah, we certainly have. When you were in Japan, did you go to Ned's? Did you go to Bears? I mean, did, did you, you do the whole thing? Ned's MSBR was still open, I think, yeah. for the first two visits to Japan. Wow. First visit, Koji was still alive, so um, went to MSBR. Second visit. You did meet Koji. Met, met Koji, met, met um, Akafumi from Ob as well. Oh, wow. Um, so... Met him in uh, Kyoto, just uh, and actually went to. He did a show on. I think it was the Sunday night after the Friday and Saturday for Bowls of Noise. So we're in Tokyo Friday, Saturday. Caught the train back down to Kyoto for Sunday. Wow. Flew out on the Monday, um, and had met him earlier in the week. He just you know was a really generous guy with his with his time. So you know met me from fucking nowhere and just you know hung out and took me to a, a record fair or something and yeah. Lovely guy. That's amazing. What is your criteria for working with somebody? Is it just kind of something you like? Do you kind of have? I've got to like it. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much it. I mean, or do you have, I don't know, like, I guess what goes into you asking someone to do a release? Um, Not, not necessarily any, any strict kind of criteria. I mean, I, uh, particularly over the last few issues, I've tried to balance various criteria across interviewees slash participants. So, you know, people who um, may have been in the scene longer compared to, to people that are, um, have less of a history, different countries, different, you know, various different experiences, just as a way to try and um, to balance things out a little little better. Whereas the early ones, it was just, oh, fuck, who do I like? You, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's so cool you did, you did a tape for Broom. Yeah. <laughs> We've been so obsessed with Broom this year. And yeah. that, like, Broom, it's Broom, Broom, yeah, yeah. Broom appears yet and, again. Broom yeah. and Molest. Yeah, like, yeah. You can't get yeah. enough Molest. Did you do anything, from, did you anything with Molest? Yeah, I did a, a lathe yeah. cut eight inch. That's right. Years yeah. and years ago. Yeah. Did you do it through the. Oh, and I interviewed him for Night Science 4, I think it was. Oh. Five. Did did the, the lathe cut, was that that. Like famous place, the it was Peter King. King. Peter yeah, King. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. How long did it take? Did, wasn't it notoriously didn't like take a super long time? Uh, you, you would always sort of run on you know kind of six months, right? How many did you, did you do of that? Uh, probably thirty. Not many. <sighs> you still have it? Yeah, I got mine. So do you? Do you keep <laughs> every release? Oh yeah. You're you're so you, do you have it? Like, like, do you catalog, Like, do you yeah. have it organized or is it? I, I don't have it organized, but I have it all in the one spot. Like a the on the record shelf, just a one of the cubes is the cipher stuff. Well, like some people like to alphabetize or go by genre. Like, like what's your style? Um, my style is I stopped cataloging about it a decade ago, <laughs> and now it's just the shit that's new is at the front, and the other yeah, shit. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. But but reorganization will come. No, we're we're awful. We don't. We, there's our, no particular order. It was, it's crazy. Our our is our uh, collection is in pretty much chaos. But kind of the same thing. We get a new thing. We get super excited. We kind of have it on display, 
and then we kind of get in more new things, and then that gets pushed to the back. But yeah, there's th- like Paris Hilton next to Solmania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of my yeah. favorite things is rec- organizing my record collection. So you, I don't. You're I an organizer. You're very good. About I it. like to have it. I can tell he you've done very well. Organized yeah. by yeah. genre, alphabetical, comps at the end. Uh, you know, I try to I try to keep it. So it makes sense to me. But that's yeah. why it's so funny when you can't find something. It's <laughs> awesome. Because well, I'm also it. completely <laughs> scatterbrained and cluttered and disorganized. So I like to organize things so there's some semblance of it. But then there's like the to be filed section, which is like 200 records big at this point. <laughs> and since the CD explosion in my life, I, I've run out of room to put CDs. So now they're like, there's no order whatsoever. They used to be alphabetized up until a couple of years ago when I really started buying CDs again. We we recently got a like new CD shelf to to house all the CDs. About three weeks later, it's like we oh, need like two oh. more. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, crates I don't know. and buckets yeah, around here full yeah, of yeah. CDs. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, how do you feel about CDs? Compact discs. CDs are great. Still release yeah. them. Still love them. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I tend to run on the the idea that every I think every release has a, almost a correct format. Uh-huh. Sorry, correct medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, some things are made for CD. Some things not so much. I totally agree with that, and some and it's, and that's kind of a criteria that is hard to kind of put into words or like it, it, you just feel it. You're yeah. like, no, that's a CD, that's mm-hmm. a tape, that's a record, that's a lathe cut. How many yeah. lathe cuts did you do? Um, probably five or six. You mean you've done a lot? That's, yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For someone yeah. who doesn't own a cutter, that's a, a yeah. Ton. yeah. <laughs> he's done, he's so done called, a lot. Period. I scrolled a lot on Discogs. <laughs> <laughs> that was like four pages. Yeah, yeah. That was impressive. So a com- combination of Peter King through the early stuff, and then uh, there's another place now in Australia called Perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got one a Neural um, 12 inch sitting with them at the moment. Neural, wow. we like Neural. And oh, cool. So I've done. Oh, I don't like, know. Probably done two or three through them. There's yeah. a neural seven inch right there, <laughs> <laughs> and he also worked with uh, a, another former guest friend of the podcast, uh, Amson Glantz. Yeah, that you did a couple things with him, right? I did. Yeah, I, I he was one person I just kind of reached out to at some point when he was pretty quiet at the time, mm-hmm. and he had a couple of un couple of unreleased works. So I did a, a tape called No More Nothing, and then a, a CDR called Lucree Pendu. And um, did a special edition of that with a T-shirt and a, like a bonus CD. So that was just sort of some stuff that he'd had kind of um, compiled and, and ready to go but unreleased when I approached him. How did you get in touch with him? I got his email address maybe from Dom. I can't remember. Very cool. He's great. Yeah. When did you start playing live? Uh, pretty pretty early in starting Chrysalis. So, yeah, again, that's kind of 2002, 2003 sort of period. Are you still playing live? Very occasionally. Did a show a couple of weeks ago, and Ooh. that was the first local show in uh, two years, I think. Did you set it up? No. Who was it? Who else played? Just local people? or Yeah, so uh, a band called Northern Subs asked me to play. Uh, they were doing a show. So it was mixed genre show rather than a um, you know a noise show. Which is, what's your setup uh, currently? Um, set up at the moment is uh, this was basically just trying to develop some some drone material and then sort of add some samples and vocals and stuff. So it was it was basically just setting up some electronics drone and then yelling over the top of it and. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Chrysalis hasn't really been releasing much since the early days, though, right? No. That's sorry. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Double negatives. Have you, do you have you been operating under another name, or just not uh, not focusing on doing any releases? Just not focusing on recording and releases. Um, 
there, there's some stuff that I've, I've sort of started working on. Uh, there's a, an LP I sort of vaguely have planned, which would um, reissue a work I did called Complicit. And then um, flip side of that is a, another piece, um, but the second piece isn't quite done yet. And, okay. that's, and it's been sitting that way for a decade, so it gives you an idea. I can understand how a label... And a magazine and doing all that stuff can also <laughs> yeah. sap a He's lot of time of and energy. Going on. For- <laughs> well, and I, you know, there's working with and releasing other people's material takes priority over on my own. Yeah. So that, that and it's really to gratifying focus. too sometimes to Absolutely. make to make something really nice exist. So yeah. it's one of the, I think one of the things that has kept me doing my label for as long as I have is just that it's so. Once you see those hundred tapes on the in the box, or once you get the the shipment of LPs or CDs in from the plant and. It just it just looks the way you wanted it to, and, yeah. and feels right, and sounds nice, and uh, and then you get to get them out into the world. Something that like people weren't listening to, they get to enjoy now in the way that we enjoy all these things. You know, all these records we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So. When you you know you said kind of Mersbau and some of the relapse CDs stuff you get at record stores are some of the first you know tr- full on noise things that you got and heard. Yeah. When were you aware that there was this kind of you know, limited edition cassette, underground, handmade, homemade kind of uh, aspect to noise. Part of it sprang from the relapse mail, mail order when they they just had the stragglers of you know some incapacitance tapes and and a few other bits and pieces. They did that sale right where that's the one. Was, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I bought a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, there was a store in Melbourne called Synesthesia, uh, operated by Mark Harwood, and uh, so I went to Melbourne. And there was stuff there that you just realised, hang on, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole nother um, street of this. Um, I better walk down. Heck, wow. yeah. Do you remember any of some of the first stuff that you got that were just like, oh, it was Incapacitance one of them? Or? Uh, incapacitance DDDD was definitely oh. from the relapse sale. Um, there was that Merzbau, uh VHS on um, selection I remember buying from from Mark the first time I went to his store. The Eleven in the Netherlands performance? It's like the white one? Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I remember remember buying my first old CD from him as well. Do you, which one? Uh, Floodgate, I think it was. Oh, heck cool. yeah. Do a lot of people tour um, from Japan and Australia? No. 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 Not a lot of people. K- KKNL's the only only one I can remember touring. Other than, oh, sorry, Merz Bowles. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. You know, but that. he's everywhere. He gets around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in caps, they never came down or anything like that? No. Oh, man. Man. So they they did Bells of Noise, so thank very thankful to have seen Incapacitance and saw Mikawa live a couple of years after that as well. Oh sick. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think that's the thing too. I think for all of us, just when we Yeah, I mean my first thing was Taro Machine relapse. So it was, you know, CDs, CDs, but like when you when I ordered from Triple R and got recycled tapes with his handwriting on a on a dubbed over, you know, New Kids on the Block tape. I no, you have the New Kids on the Block I do tape. Have I, I use that as a yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just that completely ours. blew my mind just in half, and I was like, oh, you can just do that. Like you can just take a a, a tape and dub over it and make and like this is it and do and make it so homemade and raw. And yeah, it just completely. Yeah, no tape was ever safe again. And yeah. <laughs> for me, it was seeing spray painted, spray painted tapes, and like you could make this look like not something that you bought at the store. Right? Yeah, you can. You can mess itself. with it. You can. You can put stickers over it. You can. You know. But I don't don't do that for me because I then I jam it in the I jam try to get the whole. I've seen them there. It's a mess. Yeah, gross. 
Dude, it's not good. <laughs> no, you haven't. You, the mic is a savage. Like, there's one that he used a red ink pen Look, and just jammed the whole, like, rip. I laughed. The I ink I was, tape. <laughs> it's insane. Like, every tape, it's like three tapes, and they're so nice, handmade, and just, just brutalized. Well, we're, it's we're so in a, good. We're, we're in a weird it's dilemma right now. Uh, Tara and I are currently in a weird dilemma because yeah. w- one of the projects that we got super turned on to this year through the podcast, through Gray, is Fatal Impact. And uh, we, we we scored a copy of the Unlimited Vision cassette, completely mint and un, unplayed it's, and uncut. It's pristine. Virgin. And it's just like, I... I can't, I can't do this. Like <laughs> I, I literally, we, I think we're just going to try to get another one. So that's that we have funny. to, I was to thinking of it. I was thinking of it just like, like I can't a circumcision. And now I'm thinking of it like it's a hymen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got, I got to switch that. It's got the slaughter, you know, tape. It's, it's the slaughter tape on both sides. The, the, you know, the sticker on both sides. It's just like. Uh, we just get it. We just get a digital and keep it. I don't want to break it. No, we get another one. Oh, well, you yeah, can't we'll get, get a two. digital of Fatal Impact. He's, nah, he's, right. He doesn't have. You can't go to Bandcamp.com/slash/FatalImpact. Has he hasn't like? I mean, he's still pretty much like no one necessarily knows. Gone since like '99. Yeah, yeah. dude, that, it's so That's good. A damn shame. I want to find him. Yeah, I'm not going to put it. this in the podcast because I don't want anybody else to find him. Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean it was it, i mean you know it was such an exciting time that when we discovered yeah the first you know my the first time i actually saw spray paint on a tape was a spite tape it was a, it oh, was, yeah. oh yeah I, it was the crank sturgeon um three yeah cassette um a little package my i think i think they were all pink if i'm not mistaken at least my tapes were i uh, mine are orange i think it was and again i think Having uh, been a person who has used spray paint, it sometimes it's <laughs> what you got left. You sometimes know. it's what you got. Not for you, Greg. You were very you were precise. Very, you were very. I feel like you always Gray had a head like, color. I, and he always yeah. was always very sympathetic. I, I have a uh, flat, know, no gloss. A hundred cans green. of spray paint yeah. outside my house. Like, I, I but I feel like you don't do paint. it as much anymore. I mean, oh, I know I you still do, I but do. I feel like not as. I feel like it's. It depends. It just depends yeah, on the. Yeah. It de- again, it depends on the on the release. Spite tapes were also a very early one for me, and I helped Joel assemble some of those tapes. The uh, I remember the neural tape I used the print Goko on, and a TV Pow tape I helped uh, print some stuff on transparency for him. And then that that was well before I started my label, and it was sort of my intro to like DIY cassette labels because I was hanging out with Joel a lot. Uh, so spite and seeing the way Joel did stuff and and how. I don't know. I feel like I operate in a, in a similar manner sometimes mm-hmm. to spite because that's what I learned from one. Well, and, and I kind of, for me, spite one of the things there's kind of like two ways to think about doing a label is, you know, you either, well, you know, in general, you either kind of have a, a distinct look that you kind of do control the art and it's all kind of has a similar look or, the style where it's kind of you let the artist pick and, yeah. and I feel like it's yours yeah. all are kind of like that, Absolutely. right? Where mm-hmm. you just kind of let the artist yep. do it and it becomes It's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I feel like Kendrick's kind of a kind of does a little bit of both. I recently Yeah, a, you do you both. Palette, you do both. A palette. I wish I got more art from people, but because I've done the art for so long, <laughs> a lot of times I get a master and eh, do whatever you want for the art. And that part takes me <laughs> the longest because I have to make something to represent someone else's music and art and intention mm-hmm. and if i'm given no guidelines or no input imagery or whatever it can be very difficult aside from what i what i go with 
And then there's also this fear of rejection or like them being disappointed in what you've, what you've created for it. I used to not care about that. 10 years ago, it wasn't, or, you know, 15 years ago, it wasn't as much of a concern. I just did the art and the art was the art, but I'm, I'm so much more aware of how my work is presented these days that I'm also aware of how other people might want theirs presented, I guess. Uh, I love getting art from someone or having someone else do the art these days. I also still like the things on my label to look like the things on my label. So Earlier we were talking about the the JFK LP I did before we started uh, rolling the mics and like I was really happy when Anthony sent me that material because it or that that cover because it looks like to me it looks like a Condritic record but then Condritic records also like are happy looking like Broken Flag records so <laughs> I, was like, it comes yeah, full I thought that I actually thought you yeah. did the I didn't know that yeah. I assumed you did that nope, one. that was that was all okay. Anthony nice or someone or he had someone do it but you kind of have those eras where like. Yeah, like you, you, you know, the spines maybe all kind of have a similar. Oh yeah, there was layout. definitely a technique. There was a point where I was only using my Xerox and colored paper to do things. There's points where I was doing lots of computer design. There were points where uh, I was sort of going for a screen printed look and using single colors on colored paper or metallic paper, which is sort of still how I operate today. But I've opened up the color palette, and I'm also having so much experience printing on things. I've learned more. Uh, about how to print things that'll how they'll look nice on certain types of things like certain yeah, before we started paper. talking i was trying to find a piece of paper over here and i was like great i just need a piece of paper and there's like i don't know like 20 types of paper over it. i was like this one's pearl this one's silver and he's like mm, no that's like cardstock it was it was wild. oh my god oh my he god look at his pile of paper <laughs> there's even more it's wild <laughs> It's just like no, it's like you know, just like a piece of white paper. I don't care. I have a I have a book that has a sample of every type of paper I've had in it and where I get it from, <laughs> <laughs> written on it. And uh, at the time the book was made, yeah. uh, it also lists the quantity of paper of those sheets that I have available. So if I'm like, oh, I only need to make eight of these or whatever, then I know I have enough paper to right. do it. Uh, I did not do that. My girlfriend <laughs> made that book for me. She has helped tremendously oh, with this. That's stuff. actually nice. That's fun. That's yeah. fun work. Yeah. <laughs> what is your style? Do you do you send things off? Do you do everything at home completely by yourself? What's what's kind of your what's kind of your working style? Part of doing the label is is the catharsis behind actually getting into something like that after you know a long day of work. So yeah, absolutely hands on. Um, you mentioned Joel had a Gokko printer that's been big for me over the last few years. Is try, just trying to figure out well what weird shit can I Gokko print? Oh yeah, you have a Gokko? Yeah, yeah. I also there's one in that closet. Right yeah, no. there. <laughs> I still have a Gokko. Uh, those things are great. I have been wanting to use it again. Because of some like some things I had looked at where I was like, ah, this just looks it just looks fantastic. Yeah. For those who don't know, is a, a Japanese toy screen printing that operated on the premise of uh, basically stamping and applying pressure to push ink through a high mesh screen after you'd mm-hmm. flashed an image with disposable bulbs they sold in a reflector. So the results are not always great because the ink doesn't always come through or gets clogged or whatever, and it doesn't force evenly. You have to apply a good amount of pressure to get it down, but it looks, I mean, essentially it's screen printing. It's pushing ink through a screen, just mm-hmm. not instead of using a squeegee to do it mostly reliably, you're using uh, like a, a lever mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't always work great, but sometimes it can look awesome. But that's kind of part of, that's part of it. Yeah. That's the fun. Yeah. yeah. What are, what are, what are some of the ones you've done on Goku? Go, uh, did a, Goku. did a rope society type. So I printed that some, I got some like fluorescent tape that you would use, you know, for a, for a road sign or something. 
mm-hmm. um, and printed up that. Just did a um, working on a tape by Uboa uh, at the moment, so just screen printed some cloth. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of others can't come to mind. Is there any special packaging idea that you have not done yet, but you are? It's, it's always been a fantasy of yours, or something you've been thinking about. Is there is there anything you're? Uh, not not really. Special packaging again tends to come when you get the release. You listen and you go, mm. right? What does this sort of provoke with me that might fit around um, what the artist might be trying to sort of import into the work? Did you do Cherry Point Rusted Gut? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember that one. It felt so great. It's in a small metal box. Maybe it feels really gritty. Yeah. I, it was um, boxes full of Q-tips. What? So I had, I had like I a, don't know this one. I had a had basically had a garbage bag of Q-tips for about I reckon five years from oh doing that God. tape. <laughs> oh, so like it, it, the, it, you you, t- it, you was ac- it was actually a box of Q-tips and you took out the Q-tips. Took out the Q-tips. It was just the perfect box down at the supermarket. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. How many? How many? Do you remember how many you bought? Uh, uh, 30 or 40. (laughs) (laughs) The people at the grocery store, they're just like, uh, yeah, I cleaned them out. Dirty ears. (laughs) We call them dirty ears, Chris. (laughs) That fucking stuff. (laughs) What are are some of your other favorite, uh, uh, packages that you've done that you can remember? Uh, that molest eight inch that we're um, talking about earlier, that one, um, I, I can't remember what, what quite what provoked it, but, um, the the packaging was kind of tending to re- or intended to re- um, reference the Black Death, um, so the idea behind this sort of wood laminate was a door, um, and then the cross on the front was this cross that they used to paint above houses where it was infected with the Black yeah. Death, um, and oh. then there's a little woodcut which is the image on the little obi on the front. Oh, I cool. want that so bad. That sounds awesome. That's a cool one. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got two. How many you got? Uh, Do you save one copy of every release? One copy of every. Only one. Yeah, only one. You do two, right? I save three. Three. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I used to save three when I numbered everything. I would save the first and the last numbers and uh, and then a special number. Right. Yeah. 69. 69. Not 69. I wouldn't do editions of 69 a lot of the time. (laughs) If the edition wasn't high enough for my special number, I would usually do uh, 17 instead. I have maybe half, or I honestly probably less than half of Gods. Of I probably stuff. have more Gods of Thunder stuff than you do. There's some. There's <laughs> there's a couple accurate. that I'm really. Yeah. Wa- I the smell and quim tape. I do not have that. Yeah. Someone sent me a picture and they just got it. I'm like, dude, I want one. Got a want list. Up there, <laughs> I, right? I need to want, dude. I need a want list. My own releases. I was the worst. We, what we did was, not treat anything preciously. At we all. did, and I do regret it's, that. It's and but but for me, a lot of times it would be because so many touring bands would come through, stay at our place, yeah. and then oh, I'd man. be like, I just, oh, you yeah. gotta have this, and then like you give them, and I'll just make another one for myself. And dude, I don't think I've ever made another one for <laughs> no. myself. No. I said that to myself. We were talking about special packaging and not keeping a copy of like something really, really elaborately packaged because it's just like one more thing. And again, the catharsis of doing it and making it and seeing them all done is really nice. But then when you're like, okay, now I got to make my archive copy and like <laughs> this one and that one, it's like maybe I don't feel like doing that, especially if you. <laughs> already put away the quick crete or you've already yeah. you got to go get you got to rust more chain because you ran out or whatever it is you're doing you know like that kind of thing uh, <laughs> i do love special packaging even in uh standard formats like i just got that relay for death natural incapacity double cd on helen scarsdale jim haynes former guest mm-hmm. friend of the podcast uh his label and it's he got these plates of steel and chemically rusted them and then screen printed and sealed them 
And so it's a the the insert in the front of the jewel case is a rusted five 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 by five piece of steel that's been screen printed and fixed so it won't rust any further. And it's special but standard. It's got a normal tray card and everything. Mm, it's a double CD so like nice. jewel case, so it sits on the shelf. But then you pick it up and it's heavy and it's got this handmade thing in it. I, I'm I'm a fan of that too. Hell yeah! How do you how you, how do you display your not even just on your label but your your personal like special packaging uh, uh, items? Uh, most of the special special packaging is actually in sort of a um, like a, a little cupboardy kind of thing. So most of it's actually you know behind doors. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you nice. have any that you keep out that are just something you want to look at every day? Um, not not intentionally, but you right. know, if there's not room, it goes somewhere. <laughs> we we have the MSBR. Um, uh, the one on sounds for consciousness rape, like fracture of silence. That's like yeah. fully w- when we sit. It's like well, there's only two places you can put that, like in a box or in, like in a bread <laughs> that box. Thing is the, it, yeah, <laughs> display, insane, really. yeah. <laughs> it literally looks like a, a, a loaf of burnt a, bread. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's drawers here and in the in uh, the other closet that have you know these like Tupperware sliding drawers, and it's. Yeah, you know, you don't fit on a shelf, and I'm not displaying you, so you go right there. Yeah, well, we keep the skin crime box out all the time, just so just so we can see the word. Oh, that's on display up there. Yeah, Yeah. the incapacitants. Yeah, you want to you want to like you want to see those things, but like I think now, do you do you have a special room for your records? Is it out in your living room? Like, like are you like I guess are you surrounded by it all the time, or is there like a separate room where you go to get surrounded by it? Uh, the the bulk of the collection is actually in the sort of the dining room out the back. So yeah, it's like absolutely a part of our living space. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the thing is like, uh, yeah, I just we love just constantly mm-hmm. like if I turn my head and see like a condom record, I'm like, I yes. feel like ha- I feel like happy. Yeah, in every room. Yeah. Yeah. Is, there, yeah. is there anything that you're like super into right now? Like, are you in a in a zone? We're in a molest zone. Yeah, broom zone. Those have been zone. our zones. Fatal impact. Is there yeah. anything currently that you're just like Italian zone? Yeah. Probably. What's your what's your what's your zone right now? Just went through a broom zone, same as you guys. It's so great, yeah. right? Yeah. It's such an he's. It's such an interesting, varied project. Yeah. When was it? A, so how did did you just kind of reach out to him and ask for a tape? And it was pretty uh, uh, pretty easy to deal with. Yeah. Or, quick, yeah? Quick, quick saying was was super easy super quick so i just reached out um had it you know really quick from when i first approached him uh packaging idea came together really quickly as well so that that all tied together you know very simply very easily it was the molesting only the the eight inch was that or the i mean the lathe and did, it is an eight inch you said did, right yeah, yeah did it did the did the eight inch which was just i, I approached him to do an eight inch because i realized i hadn't done one and i wanted to that was the reason to do it Oh, those yeah. eight inches. I, yeah, I love a good weird size. We've been loving the ten inch. Ten inches are a great weird. size. Yep. Did it? I nine inch. Oh, a who? I did a did a tour record for the Shimfluk guys. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Cool. What yeah. what do what was that called? Uh, it was called for the Tasmanian Devils. <laughs> nice. <laughs> did they come down to Tasmania? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? When was that? So uh, that would have been 12, 13 years ago. It was uh, Rudolph and Dave. Cool. Oh, how was that? Uh, what, what was their style? What was the uh, style of the performance that time? Uh, performance for Dave was the um, like that that animal cruelty video, you know, mm-hmm. that just fucking amazing, intense performance. Uh, so he did he did he did that at Green Door, right? He did, yeah, yeah. And we saw it. A, I think we saw it a couple times. It was at No Fun Fest, and then he toured, and we. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I had to get a projector from work after hours in order to project his thing. <laughs> on Green Door when I did it. <laughs> and then what about Rudolph? Rudolph was, um, fuck, how do you describe it? 
had these big, like, kind of elbow length gloves, which had triggers or something in them. And then it was just, uh, and, and had a frying pan with this stuff just kind of emanating um, a sort of vinegary smell down the front. Wow. And, and was just, was just kind of, um, I, I did a review of this as well. And it was, the way I remember describing it was just like a fucking chained dog who's just, <laughs> you know, trying to fucking get out. It was just, it, it's it, it, definitely in the top three performances I've ever seen. It was just absolutely that incredible. Wow. Amazing. That sounds really awesome. Were, were they an, an early one, an early kind of thing you got into? They weren't. The, the, oh, really? No, it, it actually took a while. Um, Mark from Synesthesia was was recommending them, and I didn't quite get it at first. Um, I think because it's it's disjunct from that kind of incapacitance style of noise, it just mm-hmm. took me a while to get my head around um, the, the brilliance of it. But fuck, it's there. Oh, dude, that sounds crazy. Because the Rudolph thing was only a video, because right? When we saw him, it was video. When yeah, when it played no fun. Oh right, video, it was just it was just the video. Yeah, because I don't think I've ever seen him. Ah, I can't remember now. God, I saw, what a haze. Maybe I have seen him. I saw Shimfluck uh, at the. Uh, End times a few years ago when I played, um, but that was that's the only time I've seen the the like proper thing, I guess. I, mean, I, I've I seen, haven't. Yeah, I've seen Joke and seen yeah, uh, Dave. Seen Joke. But, played a couple shows with Joke before. Always, huh. always great. Dude, nine inch. Yeah. How many did you do that? Forty, I think. What color? Uh, clear. All all the Peter King ones are clear. Nice. Yeah. You got any? Extra. <laughs> <laughs> How many you got? <laughs> that one I actually fucked up. Thinking, oh, I had enough covers, and then mm. my covers got a little coffee stain because that was the best one of what I had left for the la- <laughs> doing up the last coffee. <laughs> is there oh, any, is, is there anyone uh, that you've always wanted to work with that you either never got a chance to, just it never happened? Do you have any kind of uh, you know wish list or you're, are you pa- pain jerk? Oh yeah! Wow. If I could do one one thing to be a pain jerk CD. Well, you know, I've you know we obviously are. Yeah, the pain jerk set in New York was just unreal. Yeah. It was uh, mind-blowing. The, the, you know, he's... Yeah, Mission he's, Invisible, just yeah, it's, Dude, the CD it's is insane. phenomenal. It's a completely oh. insane album. Uh, and, you know, he's... Yeah, that I mean he's definitely like a real unique special artist of the, of the Japanese uh, crew. Do you have any of those, uh, any of his tapes, any of the... I uh, got a lot of the early tapes. None of the like, none of the acetates or anything like that. Right, but you have some of the tapes. Wow, yeah. I mean that's cool. Oh man! And now, so now, you wait, wait do that? you have any extra? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. You got, you got any? I extra just extra feel those? I'm not going to leave with my pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was yeah. The, no, it's actually it was weird. They just kept trying to like they kept trying to shake me down for like extra they, copies. They invited me over to get like stuff out of my collection. Yeah, first I don't know, question: was, What'd you get at Amoeba? Yeah, 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 What's yeah, in your, yeah, yeah. yeah they like What's went through bag? my bag. It was really actually, weird. Well, actually, you know, you you you're you're in LA for a few days. You've certainly gone to Amoeba. What was in your bag? Did you what what did you uh, what did you score uh, since you've been here? I scored the first Traces compilation on GRM Recollection. I uh, got the that Moth Dracula 7-inch and tape that just got released. Oh, nice. I mm-hmm. uh, got your JFK record. Nice. Right. Sad, sad to report it was secondhand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they had those Judas Iscariot boots that I'm sure I'm not supposed to have, but now I do. So I've got a, got a couple of those. Do you have anything comparable to Amoeba in, in, in Tasmania? No. A yeah. couple, couple of small stores, but, but I mean, nothing. 
the impression I get is that Amoeba is, you know, its own fucking beast, but, you know, nothing even comparable to that scale. Yeah, a few places have Amoeba. I've been to, like, three record stores that size in my life, and that's that's about it. There's one, there's one in St. Louis, I remember, that was, like, two stories and huge. Huh, which, I don't... Hmm. It had a name, like, Record Exchange or something. There's a couple places like that. Like, I feel like I've been to a yeah. couple places called, like, Record Exchanges. Yeah. I think, like, in Philly, right? There, or Pittsburgh? Yeah, I don't know. Ah, I don't and then know. The ear, so there's there's the a handful of giant warehouse-style yeah. record stores, but certainly none of them have the... Uh, the style and breadth of amoeba. Have you ever done like any crazy drives through like the like desert in Australia? Because you can't, right? Uh, I, I mean, it's like I'm it's not like well versed, so, but yeah, I think there's some, um, but not not through large tracts of the country. Yeah, I've been to Perth. Nice. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Mike, was it nice? You tell me. <laughs> it's the most isolated city in the world. Like ta- like geographically, right? Like 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 the next city. There's no other city in the world that geographically has the next city. You as definitely far away. can't tour if you live in Perth. Real hard, hard to <laughs> yeah. tour if you live in Perth. <laughs> do, do do you do you go up to like Melbourne and stuff to see shows? Or, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. The, that's kind of the way you have to do it? Um, look, we Tasmania's um, been very blessed over the last probably decade or so in, in terms of the the number of bands who who will come through or performers that will come through. But, yeah, I mean, there are absolutely acts that if you want to see them, you're going generally to Melbourne or Sydney. Anything sick coming up that you, you got planned on going? I uh, was going to go see Cattle Decapitation next week, but But guess alas, what? You're going to go see oh them no. tonight. I'll see them tonight. tonight. <laughs> very soon. How excited are and you? Neil oh and Neil Hamburger. Oh, my God. We love Greg Turkington. Yeah. I, is he just like- Wait, is that the opening for the Bungle show tonight? Tonight's Neil Hamburger yes. and Cattle oh, Decapitation. Oh, good yes. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're doing different bands yeah, each stack night. stack that bill. Go ahead. And this was the, this was the best opener night, yeah. for sure. We, but how, how we good were the bands last night? We don't know because- Oh, you guys weren't there. Oh, they were fucking great. Were they? Yeah. Well, we, I do, we do love Hyrax. Um, we love Hyrax. And, but I didn't, we're not familiar with the second band who Horror. played. Yeah, didn't know them. But literally, we showed up 10 minutes before Mr. Bungle went on. That's, yeah. that, that's we did, p- p- partly for scheduling. We didn't know if we would go. We just just, it was such we, a we, crazy day. Yeah, we had been so busy with a bunch of stuff that we weren't a thousand percent sure we were making it. I'm so glad. And, I mean, And finally, we were just, it. we just looked at each other like, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to commit <laughs> to doing it. We're going to go right when they go on. We lucked out got in the balcony i there's i that show made me think so much i still i can't digest everything i think about that show right now you guys didn't bungle mr bungle <laughs> no we don't want to bungle it i just think it's so i just i i just think it is so there's something so there is like a, like an inherent a- antagonism to like literally come back after 20 years and play nothing that anyone knows. Yes, yep. everybody was like, how's the show? I'm like, it's aggressive. It's so <laughs> yeah, aggressive, right? but it's not aggressive in a violent physical yeah. I mean, way. It, it's a like, little bit was, but it, but, but it was almost aggressive. like Mentally like, yeah. aggressive. Yeah. It's just like, it, it, God I, damn it. What it it just doing? felt celebratory. It's like, this is <laughs> yeah. this is what we did. This is where we come from and you'll fucking like it. Yeah. yeah and, and I was just like watching the musicians on stage. Like just destroying it and looking like they're doing nothing at the same time. It was it was unreal. And 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 if Mike Patton was not divisive enough oh already, God, his Coolio cornrow <laughs> insane hair, I'm sure just pushed some people over the edge one way or the other. <laughs> Personally, I loved it. <laughs> I was shocked when he came out. <laughs> it was it was it was shocking. He threw that hat off and we're like, whoa. 
<laughs> hello, hello. Here we go. I'm ready for this. <laughs> what are some early metal shows that you went to, like as in high school? Did you did you see like Megadeth or any or any of those early bands? Did I mean few bands were kind of touring through Australia generally, mm-hmm. but you know, as a 16, 18 year old, wasn't able mm-hmm. to travel. So I mean, probably first um, notable metal band that I saw was Bloodduster, who would actually travel from Melbourne to play in Hobart at a time when a lot of other bands weren't. So um, you know, I saw them. On the Straight Out of Northcote tour, um, that's that's one of my definitely one of my early metal shows. Was it like what like and were you young? S- would have been 18, 19. Wow! And so and that was some of your early live experiences. You're just seeing shows. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. That's something so exciting about that when you're just like, this is it. Well, it, it was a Here you I know am. that was a that was a rarity to actually have a you know a band whose CD I had sitting on the shelf come down and fucking play Hobart. That's let, cool. let alone two yeah. days in a row, as I remember that one. Wow! Did you have friends in Hobart at the time who were you guys were kind of getting into all this stuff together, or were you kind of a lone wolf? Uh, so I had a friend, Miles Brown, uh, who he was the one that that introduced me to Mersbau. So he was someone that we were definitely kind of um, feeding off one another as to what we were listening and what we were uh, interested in and, and prepared to uh, prepared to listen to. So we we. Did a musical project for a little while as well, just some sort of home recording weird shit. Ever released it? Or? No. Mm. Um, found the four track master not so long ago though when I was cleaning out my garage. Did you so, check it out? Yeah. Did you listen to it? I didn't. I don't think I've actually got the four track that I recorded it oh. on anymore. Oh, maybe it'll sound awesome though. Just put yeah. it in like yeah. put it in just a regular <laughs> tape layer and see what it if sounds not, like. You can use it for source. That's yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I, I I actually used something that he and I did for to submit as a composition project for for uni. So that was Oh really? Yeah. And did did really well. Had hey. a, you know had a really supportive um theory teacher who just went, you know, was was more than happy to to listen to something that was a little different and and run with it. No, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Did you get an A? I think I did. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, man. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what was some of your so what was what were you using at the time? What was your earliest like way of making noise and making sound? Well, I I grew up as a guitar player, so that was, you know, we were discussing earlier I grew up listening to Testament and Megadeth, you know, and it was so much about the guitars. Mm-hmm. Um so that was me from a, a from um like eight or ten years old playing guitar. And then um, the early stuff was just an offshoot of whatever I sort of had that I'd I'd amassed from just doing, you know, like four-track guitar stuff, so drum machine, guitar, and effects pedals, and it just kind of went from there. That's sick. You ever play that V? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just curious. (laughs) You mean a flying V, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. (laughs) Or, you know, whatever. (laughs) But when when did you kind of, like, figure out that you could, that, like... You can make noise or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like when did that? When just all at the same time when you were hearing Mersby, like, oh, I can try to do this with this. Yeah, because I, because like for me, like I didn't know. I still don't know. Like, there's a picture of him right there with pedals. Oh, yeah, I still I don't it. know what he's doing. I never knew what he was doing. I ne- when I first heard noise, I had no idea how it was made. Right. Like it just seemed like it just see, and it seemed like I don't know it. What about you, Graham? I mean, how were you, were you kind of like that, or were you always attuned to? No, I, gear? I I got this way through years of being obsessive about, <laughs> about <laughs> gear, right, right. Uh, and figuring out what was used. And or, you know, we talked about Joel Saint Germain. He let me borrow his MS Twenty very early on. That was the first synth I had ever played, and it it ruined me. It spoiled me, and it ruined me. If that's like one of the first pieces of gear, it's a 
legendary piece of gear used by tons of awesome bands, you know, throughout the past, whatever, 40 years. I always thought you were kind of spoiled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. <laughs> and also, hey, your MS-20, a lot of legendary bands have played that MS-20. That is, oh. that is true. Yeah. It gets, it gets, uh, gets borrowed every now and again. Yeah. It's Between so cool. that and your blue oil drums, you know, you're, you should, you got to start a rental service. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am. Gonna have to get some fresh drums <laughs> yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, Linecraft will come back. That'll be. That'll oh be yeah. Linecraft abused Gray's drums. He it, amazingly, but um, we were like, what damage could they do to oil drums? Well, he, he is. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it was one of these things where he he uses Linecraft uses two. I don't know if you've ever seen footage of him no. or anything like that. He use he, he has two oil drums when he plays. You know, coming from Japan, obviously he can't bring oil drums. So when he came, we were looking. You know, how can we secure a couple oil drums for him? Well, we knew Gray had some and he, had, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, but, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of the only ones I have. Like, he's, you know, hopefully he's not going to like damage him or down. I'm like, dude, no, it'll what be fine. What can you do to that? It'll be totally fine. <laughs> now, keep in mind, Tara and I had seen Linecraft about six months before and it was like, leave <laughs> my Tara's things up. I don't know. And <laughs> some friends I have. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, I, you, I, I you mean, know, you know, it was kind of worth it. It was kind of worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there a, have you seen a scene in Australia, a noise scene in Australia grow at all in the last 18 years of, of being active? Um, the One of the early releases I did on Cypher was was Underground Australia, which was very much inspired by Mother Savage, you know, Underground USA, mm-hmm. Underground Canada, but was just a way for me to actually find out who was doing <laughs> what because I, I really didn't know particularly well. Um, so that was a great chance to make contacts. Um and but it seems like over the last probably ten or so years, there's been a really healthy scene, which seems to have kind of risen again. Great. Is there anything that we should know about that maybe hasn't like caught on here? Um, I don't know what's caught on here. I don't know well, either. Or just in, or, yeah. or just in general, yeah. like like, is there any new Australian projects that you're super stoked on that that you think everyone should know about? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, Petigerium or Trigium or sorry, Hank, I'm fucking up the name. <laughs> I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. In I my head, I say Terrigium. I don't know. Yeah, why. that's probably yeah. a better oh, like pterodactyl. No yeah, exactly. Yeah, Pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he, you know, like that that CD on Tesco, I think, is mm-hmm. just a component of his sound, but his live shows are a lot more intense and aggressive. Um, so I think when that comes into a, a record or a CD, a lot of people are going to go, "Holy fuck!" Awesome. Yeah. And he and where's where is he from? So what, he's what based city? in he's based in Melbourne. Oh, cool. Um, so I played a show sort of middle of last year. Um, I did a terrible show and he did a fucking amazing set. Uh, and then he played in Hobart probably a month or so later. Oh, cool. Cool. How how have you how do you think just in general how have you seen things change? And just in your opinion, how how have you seen things grow and change just throughout your time? You know, doing doing the label, doing the magazine, just in general. Um. It seems a little difficult at the moment. Um, there's a lot of sort of everything feels a bit fragmented at, at the moment in terms of what do I do? What am I trying to do with this? How do I actually get it out into the world? I mean, there's no point in releasing a tape unless you can actually feed people's ears with it. Mm-hmm. So that that's a challenge at the moment. Um, whereas, as you were saying earlier, you know, the, back 15 years or so ago, it was it felt easy. I think one of the, the, the other challenges of running a label at the moment is actually, I mean, our, our job in part is curation, is actually getting stuff out there that should be out there. And I think that's actually harder to find something um, new and inspiring 
now compared to you know a decade ago. Why I'm not quite sure, but there's so well, much. Every out there sound that- has already been made, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one uh, symptom of it, I think. But also, uh, well, they yeah, did it's, just it's find maybe that this echo chamber thing of people yeah. doing yeah. doing the style, playing this, playing a genre, playing a style, and it's like. We talk about this with with GX even uh, when he's talking about the eighties before there was a before it was noise and before there was a sort of a genre tag, and you can even look at sort of like before HNW or you know whatever was was like a popularized style or there were five people making power electronics instead of five hundred whatever it is, and so now people are playing genre music of the subset of styles they like and maybe not necessarily trying to branch outside of that because they like that style of music and that's what they want to listen to. So why are they going to try and reinvent it when it's like, I just want to hear a big muff crackle for 20 minutes. And that's like, that's exactly what I want. And so that's what I'm doing. But that I think sort of following on from that, you then get in these insular communities, which, um, you know, some of us aren't necessarily across and there's great stuff happening in there, but this idea that there are these sort of little pockets of sound happening that, um, uh, just feel more difficult to discover than maybe a decade ago. Mm-hmm. That then feeds into well, uh, as a label, that's some of what I should be doing is not just releasing my favorites because you know they're my favorites because they're already good and other people probably know about them. How to get new sound out there, or how to how to discover new sound that should be out there, I think is is more challenging now. Yeah, just, how do you even do that? Yeah, <laughs> well, I know, like. I feel that, but a, a label. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to run a label that is a uh, that isn't a representation of what I like and my taste and the things that I'm obsessed with. So I couldn't I couldn't I can't put out whatever thing from whatever scene because I don't don't care about it enough to spend the time on it. Maybe because I don't know about it. Maybe because it's just not my thing. It might even be the best thing in that whole scene and totally mind blowing to people who love that. But it's not the thing that. Oh, and ultimately you you have to love it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to spend. Time dubbing tapes, money dubbing tapes, or work, you know, working to earn the money, uh, cutting and folding and shipping and dealing with all the other storage. I mean, like, I'm out of space for tapes and tape cases and tape dupers and all this stuff. And if you're going to spend all that time and energy, it has to be because you you care about it. I mean, my for my me, shame of t- 2019 was that's the year I heard Spiteful Womb, and I should have heard Nora fucking years ago. That's, you know, that's I, my shame. I just got my first Spiteful Womb release in the mail a couple of days ago, thanks to Gutter Bloat, uh, and I haven't had a chance to throw it on yet, so. But actually, our recent listening today was that, kind of going with what we were talking about, was that killer comp you put on, Greg. Oh, yeah. auto Autoplacy, whatever. Autoplacy. I don't know. I have no idea how to pronounce <laughs> it. Autoplacy. Yeah. No, no. Autoplacy. <laughs> but it was one of those great, again, kind of one of those great comps where, Every track sounded just completely different. Yeah. It's the, called the 1980s, I feel like. It's certainly, you know, those just, oh, there's like some sort of busted minimal synth band and a weird tribal industrial thing and then like some tape collage and then a, a synth drone track. And then I just love that scattershot thing of like these bands were all loosely affiliated or someone liked them and put together a comp that was just completely diverse and and somehow all rules. I mean, it's what we live for. I mean, yeah. it's an artifact that the inserts great hand numbered. Mm-hmm. It's folded kind of shitty. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's on like a TDK with some stuff stuck over it. Yeah. He just checks all those boxes. <laughs> That's the thing is I, I know like, especially when we were, especially the, it, when we were very active doing, you know, gods, gods of Tundra and Chondritic, something that I, that we were so 
big on obviously covering up the tape, spray painting, putting label on. But I have to say that now I love the 80s and 90s tapes that aren't yeah, like, you, see, like, like TDK. I, you can see the TDK <laughs> and maybe there's a little sticker on it. I used to be so like averse to that. Yeah, but no I, one can know about these TDKs at Kmart. But I love that now. Like I love Yeah, this is professional. That. Can't you tell? Yeah, it's a pro like, tape. I think it's so yeah. cool. I'll say I rarely use store-bought shrink-wrapped like individual tapes when I did stuff for uh, with the label even early on. But I had gotten from I think Car City a box of uh Snow, the Canadian rapper. Oh yeah, oh, right. Informer. Like, yeah, Informer. Like yeah, inf- <laughs> oh, God. of course everyone knows Informer. Right? Yeah. yeah, great Femil. song. <laughs> uh, high, highest recommendation. It, the, and I think the tape was twelve inches of snow, and it was like a collection of his twelve inch tracks. <laughs> but, <laughs> of course, it's called. Wait, that. he has multiple tracks. <laughs> it's actually it's like five it just remixes. remixes of Informer. Yeah. Uh, but, I heard a new remix the other day. There is one in play right now. Heads up. <laughs> but those were, they had the like imprinting on them from the late, you know, like a professional cassette tape would. And I dubbed over all those. So I had to spray paint them like 30 times to cover up the raised <laughs> bits from the, what said snow, 12 inches of snow on it. Um, but that would have been sick to get that tape and see 12 inches of snow. See, now I wish it, I could see it. Can yeah. you do a release then, called 12 Inches of Snow? <laughs> in the, it's also in the early days in Michigan, we had a place called World Class Tapes. Yes. That's where we yes. got everything. And World Class great. Tapes would sell you a box of shorts, mediums, or longs. <laughs> so you would buy, this is some real behind yes. the scenes yes. uh, Michigan this is stuff how here, guys. Oh, and by the way, I got sent on a lot of these trips. Oh, yeah. I, oh, joy. Yeah, I yeah. would go to pick up the boxes. It was near the airport, the Ann Arbor yeah. Airport. Yeah. Yes. Near the airport, there's yes. a cat. At airport, like uh, it's on airport lane yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was near uh, a cheese place that I, I frequented. So and over airport, yeah. not a big airport. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's, like it's a, a Motel Six, a Taco Bell, and world class tapes. And world class tapes in Zingerman's Creamery. And yes. that's where they made the cheese. You would get shorts, yeah. mediums, and longs, and these would basically be a box of tapes that they screwed up for a customer that maybe they'd imprint imprinted, but the dub was wrong. They were rejected. Someone didn't pay for them or something. Uh, and they would just sort of divvy them by length. You would usually get a box of a hundred of the same tape. Uh, you could buy, you know, custom length tapes with custom color shells. If they had them, sometimes they were out of stock. It, <laughs> it's a different yeah. day in don't know. It was a lot of sermons. And like a, a lot of yeah, church sermons. Yeah. Well, they tapes. had the worst of paying their tape bills. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, we'll the, my, we'll my tape dupers came from a church, of course, as many people's. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I have the, uh, they came with the owner's manuals, service manual, and full service records and everything. And like everything's like stamped with the church name <laughs> and address. Um, but those would often be imprinted, so we all had to spray paint the hell out of our tapes oh back in God. the day to cover <laughs> to cover up what, whatever these church tapes we were getting. It was lots were. of just sermon, really big. And yeah. that's you would you'd be like, "How long are these? They're mediums." Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. great. Is that a C forty seven? Is that a C fifty two? Yeah, you a- kind of we we would kind of just get, look at look at how much it look look at the I tape. Think- I think like, like, some of them would like be off. We'd be like, oh, crap. It's like five minutes too short. You got to go get a new box. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, spray paint was definitely to cover it up and to make it look like something other than a tape. Now, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a million spray painted tapes. I got one the other day that was on a black tape, but it had still been spray painted. 
Oh, wait, 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 that's sort of an Italian decision. <laughs> yes, I love. I love. I love. <laughs> Definitely I, an Italian. I decision. love those strange decisions. I love purposeful, like where there really doesn't seem to make sense that you did it, but the fact that they did it makes it like that's cool. Yeah. You 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 did that on purpose. I love that. Um, Chris, you got so what do you got? What do you, what do you got coming out for the? What, what, you got to let the people know what uh you got what you got lined up for twenty twenty for twenty twenty uh. So this double tape by Uboa will be out in the next couple of weeks. Can you spell that? Yes, please. Yes, yeah. please. And everyone should listen to it all because it's on Bandcamp already. Okay. So it's U-B-O-A. Okay. Bandcamp Uboa. it now. Yeah. All right. And is that is that your is that Cypher Productions Bandcamp? No, that's on uh, Xandra's own Bandcamp. Okay. And do you and do you have a, a Cypher Productions Bandcamp? I don't. I probably should. Yeah. Are you? How, what is your feeling kind of about that? Um, my feeling is I struggle to maintain enough, you know, various interfaces. Do I really want another one that I'll then struggle to maintain? <laughs> right. Yes. I, 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 I personally have grown to, I actually really love uh bank. I love buying things on Bandcamp. I think it's really cool. To, it, I was very averse to it at first. I was, I was so anti like online digital kind of stuff, but I grew to realize that it, it especially now it's one of the only ways to directly support an artist or a label just immediately you, you, you buy the thing for, you know, seven, $8, you know, the band or the label is getting that that day or the next day or however it works. And it's just a way to kind of, and I think it's also just a way to be like, yeah, I could obviously just listen to this. I could just stream it, but no, I want to make sure that yeah, like, we don't stream anything. I want to make sure any, that, yeah, right. just, we don't do any internet radio. Yeah. It just, just, yeah. I want to make sure to like, that, you know, you're getting the support. So like, it, keeps it the, would keep be, the conscience clean. it would be awesome, uh, to, to have a cypher production band camp, but yes, the, uh, to actually do that is a whole nother yeah. situation. Well, and if you're trying to put up old stuff that you put out before digital was a thing, then you need to contact, those people, some of whom aren't active or you're not in touch with anymore, and some so, of them, some of them, the ta- like all of that. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm sure you the lost ma- a master. Yeah, the master 12. for the Amsangans tape you put out in the early 2000s is like, how do I actually even put the, like, I, like how do I put this on the internet? Like, how do I? What do I do? Like, <laughs> if you, you talk, Connelly doesn't really know internet <laughs> well. I, my hand gestures are wild. It was like I was like pushing a tape into a into a screen is what I, in my mind what I was doing. Yeah, you insert it into the internet. You take the tape and then you put it in the internet. Yeah, you just email oh, wow. internet. <laughs> Will you accept this tape? Thank you. Um, but so so, where is the best place uh, for people to order your stuff? Uh, the the cipher web store. So I link off the link off the website, and we will um, add that link to the description yeah. of uh, this podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. It was easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I'm so glad you came here. Thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, absolutely, oh, dude. This was such a cool chat. It's so cool. You know, uh, it was cool getting to meet you in person for the first time, uh, and really appreciate ch- sitting down chatting with us. Thank you. Uh, enjoy the show. Again, sure I will. We're jealous. Yeah, I kind of want to go back. You should. And maybe we'll sneak. Do a sneak in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why not? Sneak us in like a double tape 
suitcase. <laughs> Wait, just carry two suitcases, yeah, 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 and you yeah. can be like, "I'm traveling." Fold us up like a like that comp uh, insert fold up, kind of crappy, <laughs> <laughs> and just just get us in. Let's do it. Right on. I'll All do right, my man. best. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you.